You were listening to the Never Meet Your Heroes podcast, conversations with artists about their work and inspiration. I am your host, Anthony Moses Sanchez. Welcome to another episode of Never Meet Your Heroes podcast. On today's episode, we have Ashley Bartlett. Uh, go ahead and say to everybody, we're on FaceTime. How's it going, everyone? <laughs> and uh, you are in beautiful Sacramento, California, the capital of California. As, as of 2017, we don't know what's going to happen in the future, <laughs> thanks to Trump. Yeah, <laughs> probably the ocean's going to take it over, but we've got some time. Yeah, it's going to be beachfront soon or under the water. Looking yeah. forward to it. <laughs> so um, we'll start with you having you introduce yourself. You're a writer of lesbian fiction. Is that the, the best way to yeah. put it? Yeah, lesbic, it takes less time to say. Oh, lesbic, but I love it. Yeah, and lesbic is very weird. We're removed in a lot of ways from queer literature because we pump out like romance novels at an astronomical rate but we pump out really good romance novels at an astronomical rate so Mm. i feel like that makes up for it okay i mean i feel like i can jump in on this idea too because we you know i've read a lot of lesbian pulp fiction when i was at ucla so yeah there there was a a, there was a great period in history where uh, well men of course (laughs) They think they know about lesbians, so there was a lot of that first, right? And yeah, then, and then they lesbians. Didn't know about lesbians. Yeah, I don't know about lesbians either. You'll have to you'll have to help the audience that doesn't that needs to properly be educated if they. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what what inspired you to get into writing? Well, I always read as a kid. That was my escape for everything, and I hated to write. I hated to sit still and do anything except for read. Um, Mm -hmm. And when I read, I don't see words on the page. I see pictures. I fully go into it. Um, I'll respond to questions when I'm reading, but I won't actually know what's going on around me. So that was most of my childhood. And then as I grew up, I discovered poetry like we all do in high school. And then I realized somewhere around my junior year that if gay fiction existed, then lesbian fiction would exist. It was quite the moment. So, of course, I went on Amazon, which was new at that time. They just had books. And I did a thousand searches. And my mom was great. Like, if I put books in her cart, she would just order them. No questions asked. So I had a huge collection as a young kid. Um, And then my publisher launched the year I graduated high school. And I knew that they were going to be my publisher. I knew that I was going to write lesbic. And then I did it. Um, so now I'm 30 and I have no more goals. Life's going well. <laughs> you know what? I'm 39 and I have no more goals. That's why I decided to start a podcast. I'm like, maybe I can find what I like lost over the last 10 years. <laughs> if I start talking to people that I've you know, interacted with, I know what you well, mean. Well, let me know if you find it. I, you know, like to get personal, like my goal was to go to college and to live in L.A. And I did it. Good (laughs) job. I mean, I had other goals, but like those were like the two hardest things that seemed impossible for me. If anyone ever knows about my childhood. So. (laughs) And full disclosure, you and I went to college together. Yes. Which I did completely by accident moving to L.A. and going to college. Mm -hmm. It was just like I graduated high school and I was working as a barista and I was like, well, shit, I guess I have to go to college now. Mm. 
And then I was good at it, so I got into UCLA. But it was all completely by accident. Yeah. I just showed up at class and talked, which you know me, I like to do that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you were like definitely one of Professor Little, which is one of our <laughs> our queer lit professors, one of his favorites, Mother Little. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's. A, I mean, I think. There's a lot of people trying to get into UCLA. We, when we got into school, that's when the Regency started changing how people can have access to the school now. Mm -hmm. It's probably really impossible, or it's becoming and more impossible. Insanely expensive. Extremely at this expensive. Point. Yeah. Because they raised tuition two or three times while we were there. Yeah. Yeah. But... I can't imagine what it's at now. Yeah, if I if I didn't have so many books to read, I would have went. To, I went to like a few <laughs> protests, but it was hard because you were like. <laughs> I still have yeah. to read this whole literary theory book, <laughs> these Shakespeare plays. And six novels. Six novels, I know. Tonight. <laughs> In a quarter system. <laughs> and then write a paper about all of them. Yes, but not confuse yeah. any of the subject matter. I'm sure they all bled, no. bled together all the time. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so you got to UCLA. Now... I was like one of those non-traditional. That's what they, that's a nice way of saying he got to school when he was in his thirties. Um, so you you have like the normal track path where you went to high school and you went straight to UCLA. I always find this kind of kind of. I took like a year and then I went to community college for three or four years. Mm -hmm. So by the time I got to UCLA, I was old, not as old as you, but <laughs> old. <laughs> So, like, we could drink at that point. Oh. Um, I met my wife when I was 17, so we already lived together. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were an old married couple. Oh, yeah, I know. You I know this. Yes. The, 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 there is, I've noticed that there is this weird, when you're married, or when, when you're a gay couple that's married, gay, lesbian, whatever, you have this weird kindred spirit <laughs> that others, like, <laughs> you, you accept that, oh, well, you're just going to be home all weekend with your... Your significant other, and that's okay. You don't have to go to the clubs. Yeah. You know, every and night. I hate people. I truly hate <laughs> people. So, like, going out is horrific for me. It is. I'd much rather be here yeah. talking to you on a podcast. Hey, hello. Hello, podcast listeners, which is typically my mom and, and my friend Angel. <laughs> I was on the Hi, episode. mom. <laughs> now my mom will listen too, and then they can be friends. Aww, yay. So, well, what, tell us a little bit about your your childhood. You kind of mentioned a little bit earlier to me before we started recording about, you know, your life at Stanford or your early... Uh, yeah, I was born in the Bay Area, but I was raised in a little suburban town above Sacramento. But um, I was born in 86, so high to the AIDS crisis mm -hmm. in Stanford Hospital. My mom had spent most of the 70s living in San Francisco. All of her friends lived in the Castro. Um so I, I think it was either really arrogant uh, or really stupid to have a kid at that time. Mm. But she wasn't really paying attention to the world, which I'm not sure how that's possible. Mm. But um, that was the world I was born into. Those were the people that I was born into. Um, as a kid, I had an Aunt Gary who was not related to us in any way. But he and mom thought that, that was the cutest thing for us to call him. So mm -hmm. there was Aunt Gary. And... So I, I was raised in this suburban town that was very conservative, Red Pocket, Northern California, but with all of these fabulous people around me. So my 
teacher for elementary school was one of my mom's best friend and she was a lesbian and we didn't catch on to that because we were kids. It was right. just she had this roommate that was really fun. Mm. Um, but I was always surrounded by queer people in a lot of ways. So I didn't realize that it was abnormal wow. until, of course, I came out. And then it was quite abnormal. <laughs> Wait, so well, I love this idea of like it wasn't ab- – I mean it really isn't abnormal. But it, what, I guess the idea is when you leave that little cloister – you kind of have to adjust because people would be like Aunt Gary, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> and then I'd be like defending him as a seventh grader, oh, and wow. you don't have the language to do that when yeah. you're a kid. But but you also kind of do. Um, my nieces they're older now, but when they were little, um, one of them was about four, mm-hmm. and she said she wanted to be just like my wife and I when she grew up. She and her best friend were going to get an apartment and they were going to ride ATVs. That was their goal. <laughs> and um, so their mo- her mom was like, no, they're they're not just roommates. They're more than that, kiddo. And she's like, no, mom, I know. They're love beings. Oh, I which love is that. the most adorable thing ever. Yes. Um, so kids have that language. They just don't they don't have all of the toxicity that we put on language, mm. which is kind of lovely. When you think about it. Yeah. I mean, it's that whole, like, hate is learned. You know, exactly. Thing. Yeah. Um, well, we don't, we won't get, get into a tirade about what's going on <laughs> in the don't. world right now because <laughs> it's just us rolling our eyes. There's a really mm-hmm. great, great, um, you've seen 30 Rock, right? Tina no. Fey. Oh. I know. But there's a part, there's a great joke where she, Tina Fey's character, Liz Lemon, talks about, like, Dr. Sid, if I roll my eyes uh, into the back of my head one more time, they'll stay like that permanently. <laughs> Welcome to 2017. Yeah, that's just 2017 in a nutshell. Um, yeah. So, okay, so you, you, we'll jump back to you accidentally ended up at UCLA in your 20s. So you, you came Oops. down with your wife. Who's, yeah. Who's lovely. I'll just, we weren't. Uh, when we were at UCLA, it was kind of in that period of Prop 8 stuff. That yeah, it was post-2008, but I think Prop 8 was moving through the courts at that point. Yeah. And so, all of our straight friends were getting married so that they could have cheaper tuition, and I was so mad at all of them. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, because like we didn't have access to it, so why would we know it was a thing? Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I was just like happy to be able to afford a coffee bean. <laughs> and, and, you yep. know, when when you get your student check, I'd be like, yeah. um, riding high. I guess. I guess I want to maybe get back into what kind of books were you reading then when you were younger? You said you had to put a bunch of lesbian. Which which ones kind of still stick to you today? Um, there's a series that was the first book I bought, first lesfic book, um, from Radcliffe, who is now my publisher. Mm. So this woman was my hero, still is my hero, but don't tell her that. And, uh, <laughs> we'll make sure and, we need, we'll make sure to tell her to turn off the, the podcast when she's listening to this part. <laughs> I'm fairly certain she doesn't know how podcasts work. So no one tell her. Most people don't, and they've been, the technology's been around for probably 15 years. <laughs> exactly. But um, Rad started this publishing company, and so it was so weird to go to these events where I had finally signed on, and there's this woman who's been my idol and for years, 
And I could see her in real life and she would ruffle my hair, which I didn't let anyone do, but I let her. And she became this, this real life hero, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so odd because you've named your podcast Never Meet Your Heroes. Mm-hmm. And, and I did meet her when I was like 24. And then I had to reevaluate like what my goals were because it was, okay, sign on to write a novel, Meet Your Hero, done. And there was nowhere to go really from there. Mm-hmm. But then um, my publisher also were one of the largest queer publishers in the world. And um, we're incestuous as hell. It's disgusting. So one of my friends <laughs> who is... Not to be um, confused with Alabama incestuous, though. No, no. It's a much sexier incest. <laughs> <laughs> so I have this friend who's an editor, and she and her wife live in the middle of nowhere in Texas. And they're these sweet old ladies. Don't tell them I said they were old and they want me to be their pool boy. This has been our running joke for years. They want to get me some gold lame shorts and I'll be their pool boy. So, um, Shelly, Shelly Thrasher, the editor, um, started writing a novel and she wanted me to read it. And I gave her some feedback on it, which I thought was pretty good. And she thought it was pretty good too. So she said I should become an editor. Mm. And that was a very new idea to me. And so I said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll think about that. And she's like, okay, I'll, I'll talk to Rad and let her know that I think you should be an editor in three months when I'm going to see her. So I get an email from her the next week. She's like, yeah, I couldn't wait. I talked to Rad. You're going to be an editor. Um, you're helping me on this next book. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what is happening? <laughs> so, so I, I gained a new goal there and I now have five, authors assigned to me nice and it's a very different way to approach literature uh-huh. because you you have to put on different hats depending on what you're doing uh-huh. and it makes you reevaluate the way that you write your own novels because you know what it looks like from the other side and you're aware of all of these things that you weren't aware of before and that you kind of don't want to be aware of when you're writing but it's mm-hmm. impossible so so that's where I'm at. That's okay. what I'm doing. Do you feel uh, – I mean you kind of mentioned that editing helps your writing. Do, does it help you see mistakes that you don't want to make or kind of just want to make the editor's life easier because that's kind of your, your job now? Yeah, and that stuff happens naturally. Once you've been writing for a while, you learn grammar. Hmm. Even if you've avoided learning grammar your entire life. Yeah. But you become aware of the way that certain audiences react to certain things. Hmm. Lesfic is notoriously biphobic. And so hmm. now if I – it's weird. So if I have an author who's going to be writing um, a bi character or if I am, then I always say mention it up front. Hmm. Because lesfic authors are fine as long as they know going in. Interesting. It's – very odd. This is this is why I have fun talking to different um, sets of LGBTQIA. You know, like to see that these little there's these little segments that people want to stay in. And mm-hmm. I mean, we we already kind of know after the elect 2016 election that people have bubbles now, and they don't want to. You know, no one wants to pop their bubbles. No. So okay, so 
Lesfic doesn't write to read. Well, is it because Lesfic is kind of moves towards erotica and it kind of ruins their their buzz? I don't know. Yes. Okay. But even in the strictly romance field, um, I, there's a woman, Melissa Braden. I call her my publishing twin because she and I signed on at the same time. Mm-hmm. And our first couple books came out at the same time. Um, and she's an amazing author. Mm-hmm. She just she can write romantic comedy in ways that are not boring and we've seen so much from that genre but the way that this woman does it she sidesteps all of the tropes and all of that she's she's awesome awesome um also happens to be a friend of mine but whatever and (laughs) and she had a review posted on amazon a couple weeks ago from someone saying uh this book was amazing i loved it so much it was so well written until i found out the author was bi and now i hate it forever whoa and it's it's so wild because she writes by characters, which is nice to see in mm. Lesfic, but she doesn't do it all that often. So just the fact that the author was by was enough to turn off this reader. And it's so weirdly bigoted. Mm-hmm. And you'd think in our community, you wouldn't see that sort of backlash in 2017. And yet it's so pervasive. You yeah. can't help hating yeah, well, it's so easy. You just kind of anonymously put it there. I, I find, like, you know, like, you and I are doing, like, a face-to-face FaceTime. And I was probably, like, say that five times fast. Um, <laughs> but I feel like if we, it, there's a lot of things that you could, that you wouldn't say to someone's face that you say very mm-hmm. blatantly to, um, you know, online. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's emboldened people. I feel like in real life now, I notice people are more emboldened with their opinions Mm-hmm. than they would have been in the past where you're like, there's just, I can Google that right now. And it's not true. <laughs> like, <laughs> like here's proof right in front of you. Yeah. But, but I no. guess, I guess we get along cause we're both kind of assholes like that. We're like, yeah, look, we this are. is, this is on my phone right here. And it, it says that that's not true. <laughs> also, you're an idiot. <laughs> I feel like that's implied. <laughs> yeah. But you and I have always been that way. And I think a lot of people are becoming that way. But, you know, without our charm and good looks. Yeah. It's it's tough being us. It's tough falling <laughs> into so many so many special moments, right? <laughs> you're, you're like, I just I, – I didn't even try to apply to UCLA. I'm just <laughs> I just I ended up there. I didn't try to get published, but, like, they wanted me. <laughs> it's wild, man. Um, so, well, I guess it's another interesting thing to talk about is, like, do you, do you read your reviews? Because I saw, like, you have stuff on Goodreads and there's stuff, obviously, on Amazon. And I, what else, where else are people buying books these days? Um, my publisher's website. Okay. Definitely. But Amazon's taken over everything. Interesting. Yeah. Still. But they take, such, they take so much off the top that it's kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really is. So I, one time I, I had my trap book on there uh, and one time I got like a check for like 10 cents or something crazy like that. I mean, I don't do it for money, but it was just hilarious. It was like, why? Like, why did you send me this why check? Why did you send this? <laughs> did you want to compound my shame? I think it's important to know how quantifiable your success is and to keep yes. realistic expectations about who is or isn't connecting to your artwork <laughs> and keep that in mind when just you're... to be clear no one yeah just... no one is so when you're in a room with your nose up in the air you should hey <laughs> this is what's really happening 
or do you feel like you look at reviews? I mean, maybe the lesbic world is not as harsh as some other readers. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I do look at reviews. You can't not. Mm. Um, it, especially if you know that it's going to be a good one, then it's a nice ego boost. Of course. Um, but also, I'm arrogant and an ass, and you know this. So... <laughs> If someone gives me a review that is negative, but they're pointing out things that they missed, then I'm able to really easily write it off. So with my first novel, someone said, well, this sounds like it was written by a teenager. Well, Mm -hmm. A, I was 19 when I started writing it, so I was. Right. And B, um, it was about skate and surf culture in California it was supposed to sound that way. Right. So for them, it meant two-star review. For me, it meant nailed it. Yeah. I and mean, what little I know about some of your characters, they are t- typically kind of <laughs> teenager mentality. So I, mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, she probably missed that. But yeah. Even when I see so like, it's fine. Even when like, if we went on right now and, you know, I feel like wonder the DC Wonder Woman movie was probably one of the best movies made mm-hmm. this year. I'm sure we can find somebody who's like, got a two-star review in a similar vein where they were like, mm-hmm. she didn't have an invisible jet, two stars. Like, well. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We don't know if she had an invisible jet because it was invisible. <laughs> yeah, like it might have been there the been whole there. time. <laughs> well, let's talk about your, your books a little bit. So I have 2008, you wrote Dirty Sexy, which was the beginning of the Dirty Trilogy. Mm-hmm. And then you wrote a few other books in between there. And recently, you, when, when did the, the recent book, The Price of Cash, come out? Um, November. So it just came out a couple Ooh. of weeks ago. Hot off the presses. Um, yeah. And it's the second in a series. Oh. Um, so the first is Cash Braddock. Cash the Braddock. second one is Price of Cash. Mm-hmm. And these novels, more than any others that I've done, I'm proud of. Excellent. I really am. I think I grew up and it was a long time coming and mm-hmm. I think that you can see that. Um which is nice. It's nice to have evidence that I'm a grown up. Right. <laughs> it's nice to like next time your mom calls you and says when are you going to grow up? You're like, "Mom, I just wrote a novel." Here you go. It's all right there. <laughs> which it's worth mentioning my mother is my biggest fan Yay. she orders like a case of my books Aww. she'll binge read it's kind of adorable it is yeah does she have like a little book club with her friends with your books or is it that serious um, she she keeps them on the shelf in her office so uh-huh. anyone who comes to the house they have to see her office and they have to see my books on display i kind of like this idea i might steal your mom's idea and just have like right at the front door an office <laughs> like a desk and like yes i mean my her bookshelf partner built her office so it's uh-huh. in the center of their house and all the walls are glass uh-huh. so wow. you can't walk in without seeing everything on display That's, including you're gonna have to send me books. pictures of that that sounds amazing it's wild it sounds special it, it special is a good word <laughs> unique <laughs> yep very unique <laughs> So, well, walk us through, I mean, Dirty Trilogy first, maybe, and then your cash product? Or what, what do you feel is the thing that you're, if you're yeah, the most we proud can, of we cash? Can get dirty. Yeah, cash, cash has been fun. Um, with, with the dirties, I very much settled into the idea of an anti-hero. Mm-hmm. Um, I write in first person, and so there's an intimacy in that. Um, 
And the dirties were about these kids who stole 30 million in gold bars and went on the lam and made a, a ton of very bad decisions. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, they were not good decision makers, I suppose. That's, that's clear from the I feel like go. the first problem was they were stealing gold bars. Yeah, <laughs> that's they're, they're not logistics. very portable. Yeah, they are not. <laughs> I had to do a lot of research. So um, that was... It was fun to go into that world where they've already made this terrible decision. And then at the end of the first book, the main character kills someone. And there's really no going back from that. Um, morally speaking, once once you've crossed that line, you're kind of a bad person. So then where can you go with that character who's still supposed to be your narrator who's guiding this ride? Mm-hmm. And they're not a good person. Um, and, and I would argue that that main character was actually a good person who just made some, some poor choices, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, she ends up doing just about every bad thing you can think of torturing people. She was a drug runner. She kidnapped someone, mm-hmm. a child once, but for very good reason. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning so much about you. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm twisted, yes. So I I really enjoyed that sort of narrative, that sort of anti-hero. And so then with Cash, all bets were off because I knew I could do it. I knew I could sell a character who was on the surface evil and mm-hmm. when you dug a little deeper wasn't. Mm-hmm. So Cash Braddock is a drug dealer. And the whole premise of the book is, um, well, I can't give away spoilers, but, yeah. um, but it's her navigating that world, uh-huh. but finding her own morality. So in book two, she realizes that she can't be a drug dealer because if she wants to be a halfway decent human, you can't sell drugs to kids, you know? Yeah. Although it's it, good for business. If you, if you had to really, I mean, cigarette yeah. companies have been selling cigarettes, drugs, to kids forever so i feel and, I feel and all you have to do to do that is overcome any moral compunction and then mm. you're good to go um that's a slight problem if you have any sense of morality mm. so cash very much in this book digs into what is moral can you kill someone and still be a good person why do we not kill people why do we have laws and why do we respect those laws mm-hmm. Um, there's, she has a a relationship with a police officer in the second book and she has to look at how he, um, and he's a a Latino man, um, how he can be part of a police force that very much does not make room for him in society. Right. And yet he's enforcing those laws. Mm -hmm. So that was fun to take this white drug dealer who's a woman Mm-hmm. And have her as the morality police when she doesn't have a leg to stand on. Right. Well, so often, I mean, I grew up in a church and so often those people kind of decided to become born again mm-hmm. because their past was so riddled with these moral problems that it was a way to kind of pretend that that didn't happen and they understand morality. Which is better. I feel like it's better for you to t- tell people I've made these mistakes and I've learned from them. Rather than being, having a moral high ground, but that's a whole other tangent. Um, 
to make to make this to make what you're talking about about me for a second no um i love you let's do it <laughs> no but to get, i wanted to get into a lofty idea about your character about queer being an outsider as a queer person and mm-hmm. then as a queer writer you're able to look at these things and and write about them in a way a questioning way right and my example was I was watching Female Trouble last night, John Waters' film. And Love it. Which I'm uh, watching it with my husband, who's never seen it, and my other good friend, Michelle. And I was laughing. Like, I've seen it. This is probably my fourth time that I've seen it. And I just wanted to revisit it because I just wanted to... Uh, I, I don't know if I'm spoiling anything if I talk about cha-cha heels or... The life of a uh, heterosexual. I think everyone except for your husband has seen Female Trouble. Yeah. And like he was able to get into it, parts of it. But I thought it was interesting watching John Waters' film because it was at a time where like queer was kind of like you were everyone, anyone that wasn't heteronormative was queer, I felt. And mm-hmm. I felt like this film was a, was a home for those people. So the, the film kind of houses these aesthetics and these morals or ambiguity, right? Like um, Don Davenport is basically like this twisted the beauty thing, right? When she gets acid on her mm-hmm. face, I thought it was like yes. probably the best place to kind of connect back what you're saying, like this inversion of the beauty industry. So with you talking about the Latino male being, you know, in the world of morality, that the queer is the outsider. The idea that that we have created a society that is white and heteronormative. Mm-hmm. And when you start making cracks in that facade, um, who are you letting in and who are you still keeping out? Mm-hmm. And I think that in some ways, then the Latino male is allowed, right. um, especially if he's going to be a police officer, then he's an upstanding citizen. Right. But then you still want to keep the queers out. Or do we allow the queers in as long as they're white and gender uh, presenting in the right ways? Right. But we keep out the Latino males because they are too far out of the aesthetic of heteronormativity. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting the way that we draw those lines and where we draw those lines. Right. Yeah, right now there's a big – I think that the gay community is really – rallying behind transgender community because they've mm-hmm. become the, the next um, scapegoat for the moral the moral high ground people and also for gender nonconforming because there's still people still can't get on board with the fact that you could be this and this and it doesn't mean you're this yeah to oversimplify it um, that these categories have existed all along and we just treat them like they're new yeah there's a lot to think about these days (laughs) i think if they can push a world away so they can focus on something else it's yes my students i work at a high school um it's interesting and it's interesting that you're allowed to work around children (laughs) i I know fight me (laughs) um and for a lot of the kids i'm the first out queer person they've ever seen Mm-hmm. Certainly the first that looks like I do because I'm gender nonconforming. Mm-hmm. And these kids come into my office and they're ju- they're freshmen, they're scared, they're shorter than I am, which is hard. And they see me and they start blushing and stammering and looking at the floor. Mm-hmm. And they're so excited. But um, we have 
kind of this overarching question this year, mm-hmm. and that is, are straight people okay? Because <laughs> that sounds dangerous. What does this mean? <laughs> I may because... have to end this. <laughs> Because they're so threatened, um, their identities are so fragile that the idea that gender is not binary can dismantle their entire worldview. The idea that a boy can wear high heels and still be a boy dismantles their entire worldview. Or that a boy might not be a boy, even though you decided he is because Mm -hmm. he has a penis. So there's this idea that that these constructs are just so paper thin, they can fall apart at any second. So we ask, are straight people okay? <laughs> Do they need our help? Do they? I, I mean, I think even without that, I, in general, that's come up is, you know, if you need help, you have to ask for help. And if, you, mm-hmm. if you're really that confused by gay people, it's probably like Kim Davis needed to have a gay friend before she, she really made, did. Before she made that decision to break the law, which was her job, <laughs> I understand. I understand her moral position. Like I support, you know, people having their beliefs. But when you, you're, it's your job. Not when it's your job. When it's your job, you don't get that choice. You don't get Mm-mm. to. If you were, you know, when you work at a coffee shop, <laughs> there's certain <laughs> things that you're expected to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. We're and you just don't get to hard. pick and choose that, or get a new job. Yeah, get something that's yeah. She should have quit. Is probably she really should have. Maybe I can't make that ju- judgment for her, but I f- feel like I would have just been like, nope, quitting. Well, then was... assign a deputy. Do your job, but assign someone else to do the parts that you. I don't know. Yeah, but that's or a she's good... just an asshole. I mean, maybe we're just picking on her, but sh- she's a good example. Are our straight people okay? Just to make sure yeah. we're staying on. I'm staying on <laughs> that. I don't mind being tangential, but I just want to make sure we're. Not... <laughs> I'm good at distracting you. <laughs> so what what is what came up about straight people are okay? Because I one joke that I've I've read before is ooh masculinity so fragile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. also in the same framework there. Well, the kids last year decided that home the Associated Student Body kids decided that uh, the homecoming royalty shouldn't have genders. Mm. And that was partially because one of the kids running it was best friends with a lesbian couple Mm. and wanted them to be able to win homecoming king and queen. And this year, the good corruption. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) So it came back up this year and all of a sudden parents in the community are like, my daughter's life will be ruined if she cannot be the homecoming queen. And it's like, well, she could still be voted homecoming queen. It's just, you know, she'll have the choice of being called something else. And that blew the school apart. Wow. They they just couldn't handle it. it. It's been fascinating to watch. And that's how we kicked off our school year. I wish that you could report parents for that kind of, (laughs) my daughter's life will be, whoa, back up. Wow. What is going on in your family that this is the most important thing that she needs to do Mm -hmm. to be valued? Yes. And how much worth have you put on that? Right. Because, wow, the world is going to be a tough place. Oh, I know. Jeez. But, I mean, everyone makes those kind of judgments about Trump's upbringing, the President Trump. Mm-hmm. Not my, hashtag not my president. But um, 
and I, I don't know. It's come up. It's come up because I have a lot of friends with um, with kids, and it's tough because you know you're responsible for certain things as a, as a parent, but later on, you know, an adult is responsible for themselves. And I guess the tangent here with that is, uh, you know, if she can't be that girl, can't be homecoming queen. She's got to sort that out. That's yeah. That's an issue. That's its own issue that has nothing to do with lesbians being homecoming queens. No. Or kings, and however they want to identify, right? Exactly. And you're not going to follow them to college, hopefully. They're going to have to leave the nest at some point. So mm-hmm. let's give them the tools to do that. Which is why I ask. Yeah. Are straight people okay? What's another good example of straight people are okay? I like this. this. Uh, well, I mean, aside from the president... Well, but he's a, um, it's a generational thing. I, I mean, like my dad voted for Trump and he's brown and he's Mexican-American. Wow. So I just have no hope for – there's no way I'm going to get through to that mentality. Yeah. Um, so I kind of put Trump in the same place. Like they're kind of just stuck there and we have to endure. But uh, We do. We do. And I was raised obviously by liberal people. Mm-hmm. Um, but – even they still fall into these assumptions. Um, my mother would very much prefer that I look femme. Mm. And it's fascinating that my gender presentation can affect her in some negative way. So uh, that would mm. be an example of are straight people okay? Yeah. Um, your progeny is certainly a reflection of you to some extent, but you have more worth than just the children that you have made. Right. And well, that's, I don't know. that's becoming the the new frontier, though, because women, their value was always based upon. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of even h- hits back into the homecoming queen issue. Like, I'm a good mother to society if I do these things for my child, which at a yeah. certain point, I guess, is trying to say is like, you know, in, your your child's an adult. And at that point, they're responsible for their success. And it doesn't. But mothers judge other mothers is what I, I've seen. And I think that's where that comes about. Um, my stepmother was homecoming queen. Oh. When she was in high school. I'm sorry. She also. <laughs> sorry for your yeah. loss. <laughs> <laughs> and she also worked at the high school that I currently work at. She was the principal for years when I went to school there. It's it's all very incestuous as well. It's very weird. And um, she never was threatened by my gender presentation as a high school student. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a pretty shitty kid. I stole things and I hit people and I didn't go to class all that often. And when I did, I was drunk. And <laughs> <laughs> I was a you're, delight. You're a John Hughes <laughs> hero. <laughs> exactly. But um, she never, I I don't think, put her identity on me. So it was like she was the homecoming queen. I didn't have to be. Mm -hmm. Um, She went out and bought me the suit and tie to wear to homecoming Mm -hmm. with my girlfriend because I didn't want to wear a dress. And so I think that there's a very odd generational split and we're kind of seeing how it plays out right now with the parents that can let their children go and the ones that can't. Yeah. I mean, I think... I had an estranged relationship with my mom for about 10 years I, between her fundamentalism and I think – I mean, hi, mom. But I think that some of it too was 
was, you know, judgment from other moms. <laughs> but I, think, I know I think, both of my mothers had other women tell them ways to make me not gay. Oh, right. And they ended those relationships, oh. which was awesome. huge yeah. for them. Um, but I think that some moms can't do that. I know that your mom couldn't. It took her a while to figure out where yeah. that line was. Yeah, she's but so then, supportive now. She went to our wedding. Do you know what I mean? Yay. Like That's like a huge sorry, – sorry to, to interrupt you. No, I love it. <laughs> I'm hyper conscious of mansplaining nowadays, <laughs> which I probably shouldn't because I'm a gay man and I probably don't do it. But <laughs> yeah, I'm sure like I mansplain because I wear pants. So it's automatic. Mm-hmm. So maybe you do. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so you were saying about your, your mom had to cut off, cut off some friends and that was that was probably huge for her. Yeah, but then there were plenty of people that oh, they should have cut out of their lives. They didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and. So we can't really pick and choose, like, what decisions are good and bad. They mm-hmm. kind of have to let our mothers make their own decisions. It's wild. I know. Isn't that crazy? This new world. When you when you flip over and you're like, wait a second, my parents are might be imperfect, and I probably <laughs> should question some of their life choices. Not not, no. in a, not Not in a negative way, but just kind of like, okay, mom, like, that's all right. <laughs> I yeah. love you anyway. So it's kind of like the flipped, like... <laughs> Yes, I may not always like you, but I will always love you. Yeah, I may not always like your decisions. Or not as bad as the love the sinner, hate the sin. Oh, God. It not, it's not like that. I'm not trying to. No. Yeah, we're not going that to, that's not what we're talking about. But it it still fits the theme of like queer and questioning. Like you're, that you have the ability as an outsider to question these things. Question homecoming queen, question mm-hmm. why there needs to be non-binary so what it so are, are there's any other gay babies at high school that you're really excited about that you're seeing there? Um, it's so wild to watch them. Like a lot of them are coming out, obviously, because they're teenagers, and mm-hmm. that's still a thing that we have to do. Right. And they're having multiple coming outs because right. a lot of them come out um, as far as their sexuality, and then mm-hmm. they come out again with a different gender presentation. Mm-hmm. And then they come out seven more times with a different gender presentation. And then once they have figured that out, they come out again with some mm-hmm. sort of new conception of sexuality. That's awesome. And though. it's so awesome. But it's wild to watch the, the parents react because some of them, when their kid comes out as queer, they're fine. They're like, okay, great. You're gay. Let's do this. Yeah. But then the kid comes out as trans and they're like, no, Uh-oh. absolutely not. Or the kid comes out as gay and the parents are like, no, this is not happening. And then the kid comes out as genderqueer and the parents are like, they pronouns are a thing. <laughs> and like, it's very confusing. What, what pronoun do you prefer? I use she pronouns, but I respond to all of them out mm-hmm. of habit. Okay. Because I look like a teenage boy. What? At one time, Justin Bieber was kind of an interesting mm-hmm. t- uh, mm-hmm. for most lesbians, right? Because it was kind of like, what? <laughs> I think there was like a meme thing where it was like, Les- Justin Bieber, like oh, yeah, Justin Bieber? Just, yeah, that yeah. was it. <laughs> he's he's gone out of his way to make sure that which part of the binary he want he belongs mm-hmm. to. So we talked about a lot of the things that I try to touch on with this, um, and hopefully, if you're listening, you are touching yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Not you, mom. Not you, mom. <laughs> Moms. Um, they're just shaking. I could see them shaking their heads and rolling their eyes. Like oh. they are. <laughs> you too. You too. 
Um, with Cash Braddock, are you going to do the next book next year? No pressure. But it yeah. looks like you've been working on these pretty right one right after another 2016 2017 when i pitched the idea it was for one book and mm-hmm. it was three vague ideas that would follow it mm-hmm. and they sent me a contract for all four books nice which was uh panic inducing mm-hmm. so i'll definitely have one out and next november and the following awesome. november they they probably just could knew that you were you would do it like yeah i like i like the way they think um who are you reading or what are you watching or what's what's inspiring you these days? Um, if, if I'm being honest, I'm mm-hmm. watching Ally McBeal right now. Oh. And which I haven't watched in years. And it's so fascinating to hmm. watch 90s politics now. Yeah. Because the show is like so transphobic and so homophobic, but with such good intentions. Mm-hmm. And so that's interesting. But then it's like when grandma's asking- being racist. <laughs> it's like oh grandma. grandma but then like they're asking these really important questions about gender and sexuality and um what constitutes sexual harassment and so that's fascinating um i feel like i don't have time to read anymore because i'm constantly editing and writing and beta reading Mm-hmm. So um, this summer when I was off of school, I just chose um, a series about vampires and it wasn't gay and I just read it and it was so exciting to like not have to think. Yeah. So that's Kim Harrison um, and that series um, wrapped up a couple years ago, but it's fascinating because there's like 15 books in the series, but she actually knew what she was doing at the beginning mm-hmm. and it's so rare to see that people plotting out an entire series world building in that way. I mean, I'm afraid of world building, so I'll probably never write sci-fi or anything like that, but I like when other people can do it. Lots of research, right? Yes. J.R.R. Tolkien's probably not, he's not sci-fi, but uh, I feel like sci-fi and fantasy belong in a similar pool. Mm -hmm. They do. World building, like to the point where the reader knows more about your world than you do. Exactly. I always hear about these different, these different things. Um, I, I kind of feel like it's worth bringing up to you the sexual harassment that's happening right now. What's your opinion about what's going on? Why, why is everyone? Why are men suddenly shocked that women have been sexually harassed? <laughs> I, that's the most fascinating part. Straight people, are you okay? Do you realize? Are you guys okay? Are you okay. Oh, it's so weird because. I'm immune to so much of it, so I feel hmm. like I'm watching it from the outside. Um, I'm granted so much masculine privilege because Mm. my gender presentation gives me that. Um, So the sexual harassment that I have witnessed, Mm -hmm. it's the same way where I'm just on the outside looking in. Um, But also I don't necessarily succumb to all of the douchebaggery that men do Mm -hmm. in sexually harassing people. Um, but I love it. I love watching men's worlds just crash down around them. I just lost <laughs> any straight listener. They're like, nope. <laughs> just kidding. No, I don't <laughs> and know. I'm out. But it's kind of beautiful to watch it happen. Well, I think that there's that, you know, at the beginning of the year, there's definitely a lot of that hashtag burn it down. And I think mm-hmm. that there's an element the my favorite critique right now, I, I watch a lot of international news because American news is very... Crap. I, don't, I don't know what's going on. 
America. I watch. I've been watching French or German news or uh, British news because they have a much. They have less bias. And their assessment, because I feel like France has been a little better. There's there's like a hashtag that says um, the translation is squeal on your pig. Mm-hmm. And so that's been the thing right now. And their assessment of what's happening here in America is that because the Trump thing last year with grabbing by the pussy happened and no one did anything, that mm-hmm. slowly w- w- women have felt more empowered to talk about these things. And in some way. Pissed. Yeah. Like, if if a man can be elected president of the United States after saying something like that, mm-hmm. then we can't see the threshold anymore. We passed it a long time ago. Yeah. And I think that it's time. Right. It's time to acknowledge because if we don't, this is where we land. Yeah. It was kind of scary, too, because I think it was a panel that was talking about it. They have a really great program on French 24 where they, they talk about women's issues. Um and I remember one of the women who was kind of older, and that's why I say it's generational, where the younger girl, like she was probably like in her 20s, and she's very optimistic. She's like, we're going to start changing the system. We're, we're, getting, we're creating systems where, where women are talking about these things. We're asking men to stand up, you know, and, and you know, if they see a man acting that way. And like the older woman's like, that's not going to change. It's not going to change. And it's like listening to someone in a bad relationship who's been abused her whole life, and it's like... Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it wasn't at, at a time, but now I feel like men are woke. As, as straight yes. men are as woke as they, they can be on the subject for now. And I think there's some validity in that, like thinking that it's not going to change because she was once a 20-year-old saying the exact same thing. Yeah. We're going to change the world. And then it didn't. But we also need that youthful optimism that we can. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have that, we're not going to. Yeah. Every movement sees that. I think the optimism now is that there is a lot more women that are employed in, in places of power mm-hmm. that are um, more organized with social media. Um, that the, the when they said last year that, you know, with Trump, it was just locker room talk <laughs> and they fired Billy Bush. So apparently yeah. someone thought it was wrong, wrong enough yeah. to make someone lose. His, I mean, and someone from the Bush family, of all people, they fired. So he that clout didn't save him. But um, another thing, as we as we get to the end that I saw recently was uh, Rosie O'Donnell was on the um, Watch What's Happening Live. And um, I forget, Andy Cohen was interviewing her and Joy Be- Behar. And he asked it. You can you could look it up on YouTube. It's a really great little soundbite. But Rosie O'Donnell was harassed. This is another good example. Harassed by Donald Trump for a decade. Yeah. And it was interesting how Andy Cohen kind of dismissed not not in a negative way, not in a not in a are straight people okay way, but still kind of was like you know how did it feel to watch the president of the United States, somebody who'd harassed you, and she kind of was just like it's a special PTSD to watch that, yeah. like and and I feel like that's a good peek into like how horrifying this that it was okay we we have a track record of somebody who a man let's take away the whole idea but to fit into sexual harassment the horrible things that he said to her and treated her like i just i don't i don't understand it and it's been such an institution he's really just an example of that institution exactly um and you mentioned social media as this sort of communication device that women never had before mm-hmm. and broad generalization of women but we'll use it um <laughs> 
But it reminds me of the way that Audre Lorde talks about language and the master's tools. And it's like we've been given this new tool and this new form of language that can't be regulated in the same ways. And it still is. Twitter still regulates language and they kick off certain types of people and not other types. But but we have this avenue that didn't exist before. And and at some point we do have to use the master's tools. Audre Lorde was almost all the way right. Mm-hmm. But but we have these these new forms of communication. And I think that that is so integral in changing the way that we approach power structures and hierarchical figureheads like Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And we can dismantle them in entirely new ways because of that. Right. Which I think is what the, the fear is for the other side. That's, mm-hmm. that's the, are straight people okay? Are straight are people okay? okay? You, can, you can let us know and we'll help you. We'll hold your hand. <laughs> Just like blink twice, yeah. guys. <laughs> and if we hold your hand, it doesn't mean we want to have sex with you. No. No, we don't. Like, you're not that good looking <laughs> straight people. I have standards. I just want everyone to know that. <laughs> yep. I like queer people. Right. Straight people make me uncomfortable. <laughs> well, I guess it's a good good place to stop, especially because we got to Audre Lord. Yes. That's We've peaked. We've peaked. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank hi, you for having me. Hi to your mom again. Hi. Hi, Anthony's mom, too. <laughs> so where can everybody find you online? Um, I'm on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, Twitter is Ash Bartlett. Um, my publisher's website also has links to everything. So that's boldstrokesbooks.com. And if you just search my name, I pop up. Awesome. So Yeah, you can yeah. Google Ashley Bartlett and you'll see all her books and her good reads mm-hmm. and her reviews. Mm-hmm. I might, I might troll you and write a bad review and see if you can find it someday. Do it. I, dare you. <laughs> I feel like that'd be a fun game to play with writers, right? <laughs> Which review did I write? <laughs> this writer wears too many hoodies. I can read it in her fiction. <laughs> One it's star. It's like he knows me. One star. Sad. <laughs> Hashtag fake news. (laughs) All right. Thanks for being on the podcast. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Never Meet Your Heroes podcast. Find us at nevermeetyourheroespodcast.com where you can post comments, ask questions, and interact with artists and listeners. Also, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And if you're on YouTube, don't forget to comment, like, and subscribe.